As we're diving into God's word this morning, I would encourage you, go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 10. We've been in a study through the book of John off and on for the last several months. We picked it back up a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we went through the flexible service that we had last week where we had folks come in on Sunday or Saturday afternoon, excuse me. We had 41 folks who came to our Saturday service. By the way, if you did not get the email that went out to the church family about that schedule change, please send me a message somehow, an email text or whatever to the church office um, and let me know so that way we can make sure that you're on there. If you should have gotten one, you may also want to double check and make sure that it didn't go into your spam folder and because uh, it may have gotten flagged there because it was a big mass email and sometimes those get caught in filters. So Uh, Just double check that, make sure it didn't get caught up. And if it did, and you need help figuring out how to fix that, let me know. Um, Or let Tim Borkert know. He's a great network admin. Just kidding. (laughs) He is a great network admin, but he doesn't want to solve this problem. So let me know and we'll get it squared away, okay? Now, as we're diving into God's word, we're here in John chapter 10 this morning. I'll tell you, I've wrestled with this message this week because this is such a beautiful passage. I almost just want to read it and then pray and leave. But I think there's more for us here. It's been a really interesting week in the couch household. I'll be honest. Um, I actually got more sleep last night than I have the rest of the week because my wife last Saturday, the reason she wasn't here with us for the service was because she was in Florida picking up our new puppy. So she brought home an eight-week-old Cocker Spaniel to our house last Saturday night, which, by the way, great time to bring home a dog right before the biggest snow we've had since 2018. And when there's wind chills, you know, it's like blowing snow, 16 degrees, uh, really great time to try to housebreak a dog, okay? Just let me go ahead and tell you, it has been insane for the last week. Everybody told me going into this, the folks that heard, oh, you're getting a puppy, they said, it's like having another baby. And I was like, Nah, as a dog, we're not going to be those people, right? We're, we're not going to be the, we're not pet parents. You know, we have a dog, yes, but I'm not his dad and she's not his mom. And I saw somebody that was reviewing some kind of toy and said that they were talking about their, their niece dog. And I'm like, that's not even a thing. Like, there's just, we're not going to be those people. It's not going to be that big a deal. It's a dog. They've lived outside for thousands of years. They'll be fine. So when we were up every four hours, taking the dog out in the snow, having to cut out a a big chunk of snow so that he'd have a grass spot to use in the yard, you know, and we're trying to figure out, you know, how do we get him to chew on this and not chew on that? And we're buying puppy training videos and all. It's been crazy. All week long, we have said the name Charlie, which is his name, about four billion times, okay? But here's what we've noticed. He doesn't know yet what our, his name is, right? He's nine weeks old now. He knows that, that we'll give him treats, and so he will sit because he thinks that you're going to give him a treat. If you crinkle any kind of plastic bag, he sits really well because he thinks he's getting a treat. He's learning to, what it is to follow us. Now, I, I'm not a dog person. This is the first dog I've had since I was like three. I don't remember our dog before. I have one memory of our dog from my childhood, so I have no idea what, what I'm doing here. We're really not the best at this. We're still trying to figure everything out as we go along. But as we think about this idea of following somebody who calls you by name, who's got your best interest in heart, there's something in our heart that wants that, isn't it? Not necessarily for our puppy, but for us. See, all of us, whether we'll acknowledge it or not, want to follow somebody. Now, maybe we think that somebody is us. 
You know, maybe you think, I'm in charge of my own life. I'm in charge of my own fate. So I, I don't care. I'm not following anybody else. I'm making my own rules. It, well, in that way, you're actually still following yourself. You're just making yourself God or the one in charge. But what if, what if there's actually somebody out there who is perfect, who doesn't get frustrated when you get nippy, who's more patient with taking you outside when you need to go, who loves you and calls you by name? Well, I would say that there is someone out there like that, and his name is Jesus. See, we're going to find here in John chapter 10, Jesus using an image that's a little bit different than just an owner with a dog, but the, the picture of a shepherd and his sheep. Here we're going to find that Jesus is the good shepherd. And I hope by the time we're done with this that it's going to make more sense what that means and what that looks like and just what it cost for him to be able to have that title. So my hope for you today is as we go through this, I'm hoping for two things. One, I'm hoping to challenge you. I'm hoping that as you hear this and see what it means to follow Jesus as our shepherd, that you're going to be challenged to see, am I actually following Jesus? Has there been that time where I've really committed to following him or am I still trying to live life on my own? Then the other part of that challenge is, am I actively walking in that? Am I learning to understand his voice better? Am I learning to follow him more closely? But in all of this, I hope as well that you'll see tremendous comfort. You know, we were singing earlier about not being a slave to fear anymore. How, how can we be no longer afraid when the world seems so hectic and out of control and confusing and disorienting? How can we be calm and steady? Well, it's because we have a good shepherd, one who guides us, one who loves us more than we could ever imagine. So, Let's dive into the text and see what's going on. As we look at this, if you'll notice, by the way, remember that originally the, the text that we have, the Bible didn't have chapter numbers and verse divisions. Those were added in later for us to be able to follow through the Bible and see what's going on and be able to talk about it a little bit easier. So those weren't in the original manuscripts. When, when John sat down and wrote the Gospel of John, it was just all one book. It didn't have a, a lot of chapter divisions. And I'll say this is actually one of the, the bad chapter divisions. I, I kind of get why they did it there, but I wish that they hadn't put it right where they did because this is actually a continuation of the discussion we had last week. If you remember last week, we talked that there were these religious leaders who were blind. They didn't realize it. They thought that they understood everything about God's word. They thought they knew who God was, but Jesus was standing right in front of them doing miracles and they missed what he was doing because they were so focused on what they thought was right that they missed and they were blind to what God was actually doing. So he's picking up there in verse 1. He's continuing on that discussion. He says this, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. Now, to give you a picture of what this is, um, the Bible commentator Warren Wearsby describes a sheepfold this way. He said, A sheepfold was usually an enclosure made of rocks with an opening for the door. The shepherd or a porter would guard the flock or flocks at night by lying across the opening. It was not unusual for several flocks to be sheltered together in the same fold. In the morning, the shepherds would come, call their sheep, and assemble their own flocks. Each sheep recognized his own master's voice. Have you guys ever been around cattle that are like this, by the way? 
We had some friends in Arkansas that, that they had two farms that were right next to each other and it wasn't uncommon for a fence to get broken down and the herds to get mingled. And all it would take was for each of those farmers to walk out and they each had a distinct whistle. And as they would whistle for their cows, their cattle, excuse me, I know I'm, cows is not the appropriate term for those who are in livestock. I figured out cows, just the female cow, not cattle. Okay, anyway. So as, you, as they whistled, the two herds would just separate and go back into their pens. It was incredible to watch. So here's what we find. There's a shepherd that we have who is not only the shepherd, but also the way into the fold. Now, here, let's pick back up in verse two. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he's brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. Isn't that beautiful? The sheep follow him because they know his voice. By the way, I've been told that's the difference between a shepherd and a rancher. A shepherd goes out in front. A rancher drives the cattle from behind. A shepherd goes out in front of his sheep. So as he's going out in front, it says they will, number, number, verse five, excuse me, they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they'll run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. So what's Jesus saying? He said, well, here's what's happened. Over the years, there have been a lot of people who have come in the name of God, and they've been trying to lead people to do something that's not actually God-honoring. And in so doing, they've been trying to lead them astray, and those people are actually thieves and robbers. They're trying to climb in over the walls. They're not coming in through the door. But instead, he's saying, I am that shepherd, and he's also going to say he is that door that leads us into the fold. Now, let's try to take a look at what those pictures mean a little bit. With, with those things set, by the way, I, let me, I'm not going to get too deep into it, but let me remind you, be very careful who you're listening to. YouTube is an incredible thing. It saved me several hundred dollars two weeks ago when I had to replace the starter on my car, and I could do it by myself in my driveway um, with some help with Mike Montgomery over FaceTime. What is that? I don't know what that is. Let me look it up. Yeah, let's see. Okay, so it was a long ordeal. It was lots of fun but it still saved me like two or $300 because I could do it myself. YouTube's awesome for that. But you know what else happens on YouTube? Anybody can have a YouTube channel. That means anybody with a microphone and a camera can sit there and say anything they want and there's nobody to say no. Be careful what you find on YouTube. There's a lot of guys out there who are talking about Jesus that aren't really following him. The same is true with TV preachers and with folks selling books, especially when you find them at Walmart. A lot of times those guys, they, they claim to speak for God, but they really aren't. So make sure that, that you, if you're a follower of Christ, make sure that you're listening for the shepherd's voice in the middle of all the noise you hear, whether that's on YouTube, whether that's a blog you read, whether that's on Facebook and a video you're watching on there, or whether it's somebody at Walmart, whatever. Just make sure that you're being discerning and listening for the voice of your shepherd in the middle of all, and, and don't listen to those who don't, Okay. All right? Now, first then, as we dive into this, as Jesus is using this, he's going to give us two I am statements that are two pictures for us to be able to follow about what it means for him to be the good shepherd. Again, let these challenge us and let them bring us comfort, okay? First is that Jesus is the way into the fold. Jesus is the way into the sheepfold. Verse 7, Jesus said again, truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. So now we already mentioned the basic construction of a sheepfold. You have the idea of a stone wall around it with only one way in or out. 
Jesus said, I am the gate. I am the door. I am the way into and out of the fold. So in verse 8, Jesus said that a lot of people have come before him claiming to be the way of salvation. It's very common actually throughout history. You found all kinds of people who were claiming to be the Messiah. They were claiming to be the one that God promised to send. And they led people astray. But the ones who truly followed him always came to the realization, hey, this is not right. And they wouldn't actually follow those, those false shepherds. Jesus said all of these guys were thieves. They were robbers. They were in it for themselves. They were in it for notoriety. They were in it for fame or whatever it may have been. But the sheep didn't listen to them. Now, like I said, we've seen it from that. Aside from those who claim to be the Messiah, there have always been people who try to take advantage of other people, claiming to have the secret to getting into heaven and willing to sell it to you for a price, right? That's happened all throughout history. Today is no different than it was, by the way. People are still trying to sell you the way to heaven. Many of us believe that there are a number of ways. Um, hey, Mike, I'm getting a phone call. Could you, take, could you call the individual who would be calling? Uh, we have a church member who's in the hospital right now. And uh, so, Mike, if you'd give a call. Jesus is the way into the fold. He is the way and the door for us to be able to come in. So as we're looking at this, there's always been people who've been trying to tell us that there's a number of ways. For us, that's the big thing right now is there's many ways to get to heaven, all of them being equally valid. However, when you look in verse 9 in a very unequivocal way, here's what Jesus says. I am the gate. Jesus doesn't say, I am a gate. He doesn't say, I'm one of many gates. Rather, he says, I am the gate. I am the door. There's only one way for us to be saved, and that is through Jesus and him alone, okay? So here's the thing. That's where the challenge comes in. The question is, have you surrendered to Jesus as your Savior and Lord? In case you don't know why yet, by the way, we'll get to why you should in just a minute. If you don't know how, that's okay. We'll talk about that as well. But what I want you to see right now is the only way for you to be right with God is to surrender to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, okay? That's the only way. That's what Peter reiterated to the Jewish leaders who had put him on trial in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. Although this is a challenging truth to our current understanding, for those who trust Christ, it's actually an incredibly comforting promise. Because not only is Jesus the only way, that means there is a way. That means for those of us who trust him, look back at verse 9. It says this, I'm the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. For those who have been drawn to Christ, we will come in, we will go out, we will find pasture for our souls. We'll find the rest, the sustenance, the hope that only he can give. That brings us down to verse 10 where he says, as, as he, let's jump through the next reference that I was gonna jump across, okay? Verse 10 where you may be familiar with, although likely not in this context. Verse 10, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. A lot of times we attribute that idea of the thief to Satan, and although this is sort of true of him, that's actually not the context that Jesus is giving here. The thief here that he talks about are those false teachers, those false messiahs, those people who are trying to take advantage of folks and lead them to be saved in a way that's not in line with what God says, okay? So what Jesus is saying is they've come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance, 
Now, listen, guys. When, when we talk about abundant life in Jesus, that doesn't mean that you're going to have everything you want and everything's going to go smooth and life's going to be perfect and wonderful. But what it does mean is that there will be a deep, unshakable joy. There will be a hope and a peace that carries you through the difficult days. There will be somewhere to go when life seems to be falling apart and you turn and you say, God, I don't like this. I don't understand this. Look at how many times, by the way, you have psalms that are psalms of lament, okay? Psalms of lament are the ones where the psalmist said, God, I don't get this. I'm mad about this. I don't understand why you're doing this. That's okay, That's okay, guys. In fact, that's what God calls us to do. Part of having an abundant life is to be able to look at God and say, God, I don't understand why this is happening, but I'm going to trust you anyway. Have you ever had to remove a splinter from a child's hand or foot? They scream. You may even remember that as a kid. They think you're, you're, you're trying to hurt them. But that's not it. You know that what you're doing is for their good. They may not see it. They may not understand it but you're doing it because you love them. In the same way, I can sit here because of who Jesus is, because he's the good shepherd. He's the door that allowed me into his fold and leads me out to pasture. He's the one that I can look to and say, God, I can rest in you and I can trust you. You know why? Because the second thing he says, the good shepherd protects his sheep. Not only is he the way into the fold, he's also the one who protects his sheep. Look at verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down again on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. Now, there's a lot going on in these verses, so let's try to talk about it. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd because I'm willing to sacrifice myself for my sheep. See, it wasn't uncommon for a shepherd out in the wild to run up against bear, lion, wolves, all kinds of things that would come and try to attack the sheep. Have you ever been around a sheep? They're dumb. Yeah, they stink. You ever had a wool sweater that was wet? Imagine that only unwashed, right? They stink. They're dumb. And they're completely defenseless. A sheep's body is full of so much water that if they lay in one place for too long, they get what's called cast. And that means they can't get back up because all the water settles to one side and the sheep can't get itself back up. They don't have teeth that anything's afraid of other than, I mean, they'll nip you from what I hear. But but at the same time, no wolf cares about a sheep's nip. They're not quick. They're just dumb and they're vulnerable. You know what the Bible says? We're sheep. We have nothing on our own, guys. We can't offer God anything on our own. In fact, we don't even understand how bad off we are. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Yet for us, as defenseless as we are, we're not left alone. 
because our good shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. Isaiah, hundreds of years before Jesus would come, would prophesy it this way. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and yet the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Like, guys, you get that, right? It's one thing if a sheep gets attacked by something that comes from the outside. It's another thing when the sheep just wanders off on his own. Some of us would sit there and say, well, hey, he got what he was coming for, right? He walked off. He should have stayed with us. That all of us have walked away. Every single one of us has turned aside to our own way, to do what we thought was best, to do what we thought was right. And the Bible says that's sin. And the Bible says we deserve to die for that. Yet God loved us so much. The good shepherd loved us so much that he would take all of that sin and put it on his son, our shepherd. So when he sacrificed for us, we see several things about the sacrifice. One, his sacrifice was personal. His sacrifice was personal. Look back again at verse 12. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd, doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf, right? Think about it. You hire somebody, they're like, I ain't getting into this. I'm out. Deuces, right? Yet Jesus says, I'm the shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. It costs his own life. He says that he's intimately equated with his sheep as he is with the heavenly father, right? Look at it. He says that, just as the Father knows me, verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. He doesn't send somebody else to rescue his sheep or let them fend for themselves. Instead, Jesus comes personally and sacrifices himself for his sheep. Now, verse 16 sounds a little strange at first, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. Guys, listen, this is great news for us. You know what he was saying? In that moment, he's talking to Jews and to the Jewish leaders. He said, I have other sheep that are not of this flock. He said, I've got other sheep that are not Jews. By the way, if you're here today and your lineage is not completely Jewish, then this is you he's talking about. You and I are one of those other sheep. The Bible describes everybody that's not a Jew as a Gentile. And Jesus is saying, I'm coming so that other Jews or other folks can be saved, not just Jews, but Gentiles as well, so that there can be one sheep, one shepherd. By the way, that also means for us, as we think about all of the tensions and racial inequality in our world, that also means that there is one shepherd and one flock of sheep, period. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to Jesus, regardless of your your skin color, your background, your socioeconomic status, any of those things, because we have one good shepherd together. We should worship and celebrate that. Praise God that he didn't just die for a certain race of people, because if if he did just die for a certain race of people, we wouldn't be it. But he said, I have other sheep that are not a part of this, and I'm bringing them in. There's more to his sacrifice that proves that he's good. Isn't that good, though? Isn't that good? Just, just right there. He was willing to personally lay himself down. If it was that, that's all it would be, that'd be great. But number, the next thing we see is that his sacrifice is intentional. His sacrifice is intentional. Look back here at verse 17. This is why the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. 
but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my father. You see, when you look at what all happened the night that Jesus was betrayed and he was arrested and he was tried and he ended up on the the cross, it looks like it's this out-of-control series of events where he just is kind of this unwitting victim who gets pulled through this miscarriage of justice until he finds himself dying on a cross. But that's not at all the case. Jesus knew exactly what was going on, and he could have stopped it at a moment's notice. Listen, Matthew 26, 53, after Jesus gets arrested, here's what he says. Do you not think that I can call on my Father, and he'll provide me here here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? I'm not real great with my, my ancient army region, or legions and stuff. So a legion was between 3,000 and 6,000 foot soldiers in the Roman army. So here, Jesus is saying that he could call to, out to the Father and stop the entire thing by calling 36 to 72,000 angels to his side in an instant. By the way, how many angels did it take to guard the, the way back into Eden? One. Okay. What could God do with 36 to 72,000 of them, right? Jesus said, I could have stopped it, but I didn't. Yet, instead, again, using the picture of sheep, Isaiah 53 also said, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. Our shepherd humbled himself to be treated like a sheep. At no point was he out of control. He said, I'm laying my life down and I can pick it back up again. It's not being taken from me. I'm willingly surrendering it. And he did pick it back up, didn't he? Three days later, he rose from the dead. That's what gives us the hope and the joy. See, this time the good shepherd acted as a sheep and willingly laid down his life for his sheep. And here's what's beautiful about that. Not only is his sacrifice personal and intentional, it's also permanent. It's also permanent. After discussing some more with the Jews, pick back up in verse 26. But you don't believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Verse 28. If you, by the way, if you like to underline in your Bible, these are great verses to underline right here. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You know, in the summertime, we love to catch lightning bugs, right? Or fireflies, depending on what region you're from, I guess, right? You ever do this? You catch the bug, and then you hold it like this, but you don't realize how skinny they are, and next thing you know, they've kind of slid out through the back of your hand, okay? That doesn't happen to God. He says, listen, you will never perish. I give them eternal life. No one is able to snatch them out of my hand. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He said, it's like Jesus' hand is here, the Father's hand is here, and nothing is getting you out of that. You are safe and secure in Christ. You have eternal life not based off your goodness, not because you tried real hard or because you were church on Saturday when we had snow or any of that stuff, but because Jesus, your shepherd, died in your place and he's drawn you to himself and you've responded in faith, placing your trust in him as your savior and Lord. And now you're one of his sheep and you follow his voice and nothing can take that away. 
case you're not convinced, Paul explained that a little bit further in Romans chapter 8. I love this list. (laughs) Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persian or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, because of you, we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. It's amazing how often the sheep imagery comes up throughout Scripture. So in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, here's where it gets real good. I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, nor powers or height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from him. Not a thing. He gives eternal life. Now, I can't be taken away from the care of my good shepherd who died in my place and is the only way I can enter into a right relationship with God. See, when we allow our truths, our hearts to rest in this truth, it can change so much about how we experience the world around us. We know that there's somebody who's watching over us all the time. There's not a thing in the world that would make him stop caring for us or is able to take us away from him. So what's the worst that can happen? Even if something were to take my life today, all it does is send me to be closer to my Savior. All it does is allow me to see my shepherd, to look at him and to see the nail scars in his hands and his feet. That's all it does is it sends me to see him. So guys, if death, our greatest enemy, if that's what allows us to go see him, then there is nothing left for us to fear. Well, Sashana, maybe it'd be easy to face death, but it's awful hard to face life, right? The day in, the day out, the drudgery, the routine wears us down. But you know what shepherds do? They lead their flock out in the day, they bring them back at night, and they watch over them the entire time. The next day, they lead them out, they bring them back. Lead them out, they bring them back. That means your good shepherd is watching over you every single moment of the day. Maybe you feel like our little Charlie doesn't yet know our voice. But you know what he's already figuring out? We've got a a 14-year-old cat who is not real thrilled about the new addition in the house. The other day, they had an encounter in the hallway, and she was bowing up and hissing at him. My wife was standing there. Charlie ran up right in between her legs and sat there and starts barking, 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 barking. But then if Samantha stepped away, he runs right back, right? He's not big and tough yet to be able to take on the cat. But he knows where he's safe. He knows that his owner loves him. He's going to take care of him. Guys, Jesus is so much better a shepherd than I'll ever be a dog owner. Jesus has your best interest at heart. I promise you. You know how I know? Because he died for you. He gave his life to die in your place. So my question is, number one, have you come in through Jesus as the door? Have you said, God, I'm turning from my life to to coming into your fold. I want a relationship with you based off what Jesus has done. Have you done that? 
And if not, then you can do that right where you're seated this morning or right where you're watching us online. You can just say, God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to, to, to help me to follow you. I want to follow you as my shepherd. I want to put you as the leader in charge of my life. And the beauty is, he said, if you come in through the door, you will be saved, period. Not eventually, but now. You're a part of the flock. You're a part of the family now. So my other question, though, for you is, if you're here today and you've made that decision to follow Jesus, are you walking closely with him? How close are you following your shepherd? Are you training yourself to hear his voice better? Two main ways you do that are by reading your Bible and by praying. Are are you training yourself to, to hear him, to know him, to follow him? And are you doing what he's telling you to do? See, sometimes we worry that we're not saved yet or that we've somehow lost our salvation, which you can't because you're secure in the Father and and in Jesus' hands. Sometimes we worry that that in that, that, that we've lost it. Well, maybe it's not that you've lost it, but maybe you're letting sin deafen you to the, the voice of your shepherd. You need to ask God to forgive you or you need to do some heart searching. Am I really a part of his flock? In all of this, with the challenge of that, take comfort in the fact that you have a better shepherd than you could ever imagine. Bow your heads with me, close your eyes. Let's take just a moment to respond to what God's saying. What do you need to do different as a result of what God has said? I'm gonna give you just a minute where you're at to to pray. If you need to talk to me, I'll, I'll be down front. We'd love to talk with you more about it. Well, let's pray and surrender to our shepherd. Father, I thank you this morning that you're the good shepherd who leads us in every moment. As David wrote in Psalm 23, you're the God who walks with us even through the valley of the shadow of death. So free us from fear because you are our shepherd. If there's anybody who's listening this morning or watching online who's not yet come into the fold, would you draw them to yourself in the way only you can? And then would you help those of us who know you to walk closely with our shepherd? Speak to our hearts now as we take a moment to respond.